The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. If you're experiencing life, and we know you are, you may have a variety of questions about relationships, family issues, personal goals, coping with the unexpected, and much more. Today, you will hear some answers from a psychological perspective, and you may just take away something that fits. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Welcome to Psych Up Live. I'm your host, Suzanne Phillips. And I thank you for joining us today. We have a very interesting show. We're going to be talking about ageism. Let me ask you, have you ever been considered irresponsible simply because you were young? Have you ever been overlooked or ignored because you were deemed too old? Have you ever worried about aging or being forced to retire? Do you see older people as an economic drain on our country? How do stereotypes about age threaten the best of us at any age? These questions and more will be answered by our expert and guest, Ashton Applewhite. Ashton is the author of an amazing book, This Chair Rocks, A Manifesto Against Ageism. She's been recognized by the New York Times, National Public Radio, and the American Society on Aging as an expert in the area of aging. She blogs at This Chair Rocks, speaks widely. She, you, found, you can find her work in Harper's Playboy, The New York Times. She's also the voice of another blog, Yo, Is This Ageist? She's a leading spokesperson for a movement to mobilize against discrimination on the basis of age. Ashton Applewhite, it is my privilege to welcome you to Psych Up Live. Thank you. Great to be here. So let's start by asking, how did you get interested in dealing with age discrimination, ageism, and what prompted you to write This Chair Rocks? Well, I, I, that's, those are three questions. Um, I will say that if you had told me 10 years ago that I would be fascinated with the subject of aging, I would have thought, well, why on earth would I want to think about something so depressing? Uh, but aging is living. Right. You know, it's it's the story. It's perfect for a generalist like me because we are aging from the minute we're born. So it's really about how we pass through life and how we interact with society and our peers. So what could be more interesting? In hindsight, I started thinking and writing about it because I was afraid of getting old. I was in my mid-50s. And um, a chance comment of my in-laws, uh, who were in their 80s at the time, and their booksellers, and they said, why don't you write about something people ask us all the time? So when are you going to retire? 
(laughs) And I thought that was interesting. I know a lot of us hear that all the time, and it's sort of an inappropriate question if you think about it. So I started interviewing people over 80 who work, and they were a dime a dozen, and they were really interesting and really diverse and in the world in all kinds of interesting ways, and that didn't surprise me. What did surprise me, because at the same time I started researching and learning about longevity because that's what I do, was that almost everything I thought I knew about what it was like to be that old was wrong, about what the future held. A Mm. couple of examples. I thought the odds of ending up in a nursing home were pretty good. The percentage of Americans over 65 in nursing homes is 4%, and it's dropping. Mm. I, I thought it must be older people must be depressed because, duh, they're old and they're going to die soon. It obviously sucks to be old. Older people enjoy better mental health than the young or middle-aged. And the older you get, the less you fear dying. And right. I can tell you about the science behind that. There's, if you Google U-curve of happiness, study after study in the U.S. and around the world shows that people are happiest at the beginnings and the ends of their lives. I mean, I I didn't believe it when I first heard it. And I thought, how come we don't know this stuff? Mm. And it became obvious pretty early on that we live in a culture that drowns out all but the negatives about life after 65 or 50 or Mm. 30. How many women do we know freaking out about heading into their 30s or 40s as though we didn't have any fun anymore, you know, as though it's all this narrative of decline? Where does that come from? I'm happy to talk about that. So that Mm. got me fired up sort of socially and politically to tell the full story, which is, sure, there are things to to worry about when it comes to aging, and there are things we we lose in the form of uh, physical function, but we also gain so much, right? Aging is additive. We don't lose all the experiences we had, all the things we've done. Those remain accessible to us. We contain all the ages we have ever been. That's the epigraph to the mm. book, which is a wonderful quote from Anne Lamott. Why don't we tell mm. that side of the story so people can see aging as the enriching process that it also is? Well, one thing that you're owning about your own perspective about this is many of us have really been subject to a culture that invites us to think about as, and I'm quoting you in your book, Global wrinkling, the tsunami, the gray tsunami, the economic drain of older people on the culture. And I loved when you when you wrote economic drain. Uh, people over fifty provide seventy percent of the disposable income. But and I, I started thinking about magazines. The ads don't pitch to them. The ads no that kidding. pitch to the older group are pitching medication with horrible side effects, which make people go crazy. Viagra, skin cream for wrinkles. I mean, they're, you know, the the older group's not really the ones who are on these gorgeous ads that have been airbrushed to look perfect. So you you well, could read about thing. that. I mean, you know, if, if it, we can't, the culture, you know, we, we all, as good Americans, we know that our, our duty, our primary patriotic duty is to go shopping, right, is to buy things. <laughs> and you can't make money off satisfaction, We know this from the body image acceptance movement, right? Right. Aging is a disease, and it is not. Aging is not a disease. It is a natural, powerful, lifelong process. Then we can be persuaded to buy things to cure it, like Viagra, 
like hormone replacement because natural uh, physical processes are, are treated as a disease and medicalized so they can sell us remedies, and a lot of them do make us crazy. And if aging is a problem, you know, if like wrinkles, for example, who gets to say that wrinkles are ugly? The billion, multi-billion dollar skin cream industry right. in right. The, the United States. So when we make aging a problem or a disease, then we, are, we become fearful, and then also it presents people with opportunities to make money off us selling us stuff we don't need. Mm. So then when we think about all of us, and there's plenty of stereotypes we can talk about from the, the, for the younger crowd. I mean, if you're in a store and you're young, the security guard's right next to you because he's assuming that you're going to steal something. But let's just focus at the moment about um, this older um, stereotype, and that is, so if we internalize this, that get something for the wrinkles, don't tell people your age, um, we perpetuate the very thing that we are resisting, and we never do what you do in the book, which was really to take a closer look, to dare to look at some of these myths. Instead, we kind of internalize, we, we've got a kind of internalized stereotype about ageism um, that we, without realizing it, perpetuate. I mean, the people who, who keep asking you um, or your in-laws, are you going to retire? Or why wouldn't you retire? Or why would you think about doing a 60-mile bike trip now? I mean, you, you so you start to wonder, are they afraid of ageism? Have they? Did they drink the Kool-Aid? Have they bought the fact, like most of us have, that this is a very big thing to avoid? And then you really have to work very hard, as you do and you're inviting us to do, to unravel some of these myths. I mean, when I think about my mother at 94 in assisted living, she really was sharper than most of the people working there. And some of them were lovely. Mm-hmm. And certainly, and certainly, Ashton, sharper than me than I'll ever be in math. At 95, she could beat me in any game that involved math and forget about cards. And as you say, her attitude, look at, the, look at how the country is so stressed by the election and politics. So if I had said to my mother, and I did at one point, Sama, who is the president? And she said, who cares? And you know what? That's a pretty good answer considering the way everybody is so stressed. So I think if we dare to look beyond the myths, we find something very different. Well, one thing you find out is that each person is different from anyone else. I mean, all stereotypes, all, all, all discrimination, all isms, racism, homophobia, sexism, are based on stereotyping, the presumption that all members of a group are the same, you know, um, that they're right. lazy or that they're out to mug you or that they can't handle technology or you name it, and I'll leave you to fill in the blank with what group those stereotypes, um, you know, summon to mind in the, in the media. Stereotypes obviously are always wrong, but they are especially so when it comes to aging because the longer we live, the more different from one another we become. It's why, it's why doctors say if you've seen one 80-year-old, you have seen one 80-year-old because we it. each age at d- different rates socially, cognitively, 
and physically, right? So, but also this point that, you know, the prejudice thing, when you, when you say all a group is the same way, everyone is the same, it turns into something faceless and anonymous and other than you. And when you lump people into that, they become less human and their welfare becomes less of a human right. I mean, that's one reason that elder abuse, five out of six cases conservatively go unreported in this culture. And another reason is that older people don't report it themselves because they're embarrassed and they think they may not deserve help. And that is because of internalized ageism. And I think maybe we need to explain that phrase. When we grow up in a culture that's barraging you with ads for wrinkle creams, when even when we start young, attitudes towards aging start to form in early childhood. When you're looking at children's books where the grandma is either this, you know, placid creature in a rocking chair or the evil crone, right? And then right. the, the um, you know, the greeting card rack. I mean, the things that they say on greeting cards are hateful. Imagine them you saying the same sort of things on the basis of race or sex. It would be illegal. It is, it is illegal. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, but when there's no counter narrative, when we are told every day when we look in the mirror, oh, there's a wrinkle, well, that means, you know, your life is over or you're ugly or you're useless. When, when we're told also that all these awful medical things are going to happen to each of us, then when you can't remember something, you think, oh, my God, that's because I'm getting Alzheimer's, forgetting that young people forget things all the time, too. You say, oh, my God, my knee hurts because I'm 64. Well, does your other knee hurt? It's just as old. But we internalize these messages, and they become part of how we see ourselves in the world. And Mm. part of becoming aware of ageism, and it is the critical, essential first part, is to look at our own attitudes towards age and aging. To look Mm. for ways in which we are ageist, not for evidence that we're not. Because we can't challenge bias unless we're aware of it. And, you know, it's uncomfortable. No one wants to acknowledge that they're biased. What makes it both harder and easier when it comes to ageism is that it's really hard to admit that you're racist. I mean, I think everyone is racist, but it's an, it's an ugly, uncomfortable thing to have to admit. Everyone is also ageist. When you are ageist, you know who the other is? The thing that you're prejudiced against? Your own future self. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's the scary bad thing, is who you are going to be. So it's really an internal process. But once you start looking at the older people around you with an open mind, you see that people, hello, they keep having fun. They keep having sex. They continue to contribute in the world if they're allowed opportunities to do so, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like the blinders come off. It's like... A genie, I mean, you, you tell me, because you're the one who just read the book, you were saying there's a lot of fresh ideas in, in there. I mean, maybe you should describe what that was like for you. Well, one of the things that you, you mentioned that I think is very powerful is that instead of thinking of ourselves as old or getting old, why wouldn't we instead think of ourselves as it's Ashton or Suzanne at this age, whatever that age happens to be. That is, you mm-hmm. said uh, you, you were um, practicing at becoming an old person. And I thought, I think what she says in many parts is, no, it's Ashton at any age. It's Suzanne at any age. If we hold 
our own sense of self, and we really don't buy that past 65, we fall off a cliff and enter into a homogenous group, we then don't worry. Age is irrelevant. It's each day who we are that really makes the difference. One thing, and I want to invite listeners to think, because I invited someone to think about this yesterday, how we are all homogenized, Ashton. You mentioned, and this is true, on typical medical forms, are you between the ages of 20 and 30, 30 and 40, 40 and 50, 50 and 60 plus, 5 plus. Now, what? As you say, in an assisted living, we have people 65, 75, 85, and 95. They are not all alike. And we would never, you would never hear people think the same way about a group of people from 20 to 60. Absolutely. And people from 20 to 60 are actually more alike than people from 60 to 100. Right, right. So it's really, it takes wanting to be who you are, and as you say, not absorbing the, A, the terror about the stereotype while you unwittingly perpetuate it. So you really have to think twice, you know, why am I asking why this person is is not retiring? Why is that even the question? Now, if you say, I love what I'm doing in retirement, that's wonderful. But there are maybe five other people who would not enjoy that. And I, so, right. but I think Which we, we, gets back to the idea that each of us, you know, what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for another. Some people maintain, you know, physical functions better than others. We all have all different kinds of physical strengths and limitations. Ditto social strengths and limitations. Ditto cognitive. Your mother is better at math at 95 than you are. Well, I bet you're better at some other stuff than she is, but I bet that's a function of how you always were, not a function of how old you happen to be. Absolutely right. Now, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, let's talk about, so where do people go with newfound knowledge and what can they do to expand beyond the stereotype? You've been listening to Psych Up Live, and we're here speaking with Ann Applewhite. Ashton Applewhite, the recognized expert on ageism and the author of a terrific new book, This Chair Rocks, a manifest against ageism. Stay with us. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. What voice guides your sexual needs and desires, yours or others? The Sexual Voice with host Jessica Ford is the show to lead you to a happier, healthier, and more fruitful sexual self. Let Jessica help you find your own unique voice to express sexual feelings, gain confidence, and to appreciate your own needs and desires. Listen live every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. There is a sexual voice inside of everyone. Come discover yours. A wave of change is happening in our world now. A new feminine way of leadership is emerging. Yet this is not about women taking over. This rise of the feminine is helping men too. Join host Gina Lazenby, award-winning businesswoman, best-selling author, and speaker on feminine wisdom as she reports on the rise of the feminine with inspiring stories of women who are coming into their own and finding their unique purpose. Tune in and join this conversation in the rise of the feminine each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You count. 
Tune into Inner Revolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Inner Revolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Ashton Applewhite, recognized expert on ageism and the author of This Chair Rocks, a terrific book, A Manifesto Against Ageism. So Ashton, we sort of began by raising our listeners' consciousness about are you buying this stereotype about aging and what old equates to um, rather than embracing who you are at any age. And so some of the valuable material in your book really touches on things like serious mental decline is not necessarily a normal or inevitable part of aging. Uh, You can take the necessarily out. It's just not. I mean, 20% of people escape cognitive decline entirely. Think about, you know, those really sharp 90-year-olds that we all know. And, you know, most of us will lose some, um, you know, some processing speed in certain areas, particularly that, that thing that makes it hard to remember the name of that movie you saw with What's-Her-Name last week. But most of us don't lose much more than that. The mm-hmm. real epidemic is anxiety over memory loss. And where ageism comes in is this idea that the, the fear, you know, it's all fear-based, the idea that if you have a little moment that, um, you know, that, that you're going to become incapacitated. Rates of Alzheimer's have actually been dropping steeply for the last 15 years. Why don't we know that? They don't publicize that because they want to sell us stuff to, you know, or they want to medicalize. There's now mild cognitive impairment, you know, which, which is, again, a way to pathologize what is for almost all of us a natural transition. And so, you know, it's important to keep in mind, you know, that kids forget stuff too and that most of us will retain plenty of mental function. It might take us a little longer to remember that name, but one theory says it takes longer because your brain is a database, right? There is more in it as you get older and it takes longer to sift through it and then arguably we're able to come up with a better decision because we've been able to base it on more experience. So it's always double-edged. And the odds are that you will be able to function just fine right to the end of your days. You know, one of the things on that point, because memory and worrying about mental decline is such an issue, one of the things it's that scary. really, 
it, it really confirms the idea that you you know you got years of data there. We had Benedict Carey on another show, and he was talking about you didn't lose it. You literally everything's in cold storage. And if you don't get hysterically anxious, it's going to come to you. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think right. you know. I think I think at another point you also mentioned something that's so powerful, which is a positive <laughs> outlook on age is probably one of the most significant significant factors. Yeah, in, that's so in, it's so interesting. Yeah, yeah, really, There's a factor in maintaining functioning. That, that shows how attitudes towards aging affect how our minds and bodies function at the cellular level. People with more positive attitudes towards aging walk faster. They have better memory. They are more likely to recover completely from severe disability. They live longer, a lot longer, an average of seven and a half years longer. And, of course, they live better because they're not filled with this needless dread of things that are probably not going to come to pass, right? So, mm-hmm. whereas, you know, so and, and the thing that they have, this is so interesting. And, again, I swear I did not believe this when I first encountered it. They have done, um, uh, looked at the brains of people who died who were sharp as tacks and found that they were full of Alzheimer's-type plaques and tangles, some of them, you know, not, not everyone. But what those brains, those people had in common, the ones who had symptoms of disease but, but lived symptom-free, they had a purpose in life, whether it was to cure cancer or beat Mrs. Rosenberg at bridge. It doesn't matter. They were involved in their lives and engaged in the world. And as an activist, I want to point out, what is the biggest obstacle to older people finding meaning and purpose in late life? It is systematic discrimination, ageism, that marginalizes and silences older people. And that's why I think that it will be really, really fantastic, and I'm I'm working with the World Health Organization to make it happen, to have an anti-ageism campaign as a public health initiative. Mm. Well, right, because we all know that that health makes the most difference to how well we age and how much it costs. So let's change our attitudes as a really inexpensive, intervention-free way to live longer, healthier, and better. Mm. Well, that bears in mind uh, accounting for uh, forced retirement, um, people who cannot get jobs because they're deemed too old. I think you gave an example of a gentleman who, after the interview, I think it was for an IT job, he overheard them say, he's perfect. He was 62. He's perfect, but he's too old. Too old for what? So that How how can he be perfect and be too old? I mean, let's talk about language for a minute. I say, you know, we use, in an ageist culture, we use, in a youth-obsessed culture, we use the word old as a placeholder for all kinds of bad things and young as a placeholder for all kinds of good things. You hear people say, I wish I were young again. They're not actually saying that they want to move their game pieces back to the beginning of the board, right? Because then they have to stop being who they were and lose everything they have and all the people they love. What they're saying is, I wish my knees didn't hurt. I wish I, I wish I, I want to be sexy. I want to be mobile. I want to be engaged. When we say, I feel old, they're saying, I feel sad. I feel lonely. I feel marginalized. I don't know about you, but I felt more lonely and more like a loser when I was 13 
than any time <laughs> since. The point is those states of mind, you know, you can be happy and energized when you make a new friend, whether you make it at 13 or, you know, 83. Those states of mind are not intrinsically linked to how old we are. They are part, right? Your age is actually irrelevant. So it's really important to look at our language and to not use feeling old and feeling young as placeholders for feeling good and feeling bad because they reinforce this idea that everything about being old is terrible. And I don't know about you. There's, there's a few things I don't like about being older, you know, mainly have to do with aches and pains, but there's an awful lot of it about it that I like a lot. Mm. Well, I think that people, when they look closely, would actually tell you, there are some people who tell me, I'm blessed, this is the best time of my life, or as you say, I finally don't worry anymore. Um, I also think, and, and on the positive side, I've observed, I've seen it in our family, I've seen it in, in other, even if I'm in with, with my mother-in-law, my mother over the years, as I was, um, some precious moments where you can see a teen who actually gets along better with grandma than she Uh ever does with mom, that those generations sometimes just step right together. And sometimes the most precious thing you you see is a teen asking grandma how to make the certain kind of ravioli. And the teen saying, grandma, I'm going to show you how to play this game Candy Crunch. And that's how it should be. It's natural for older people to learn from younger ones. It's not one way. It's not like the sharp kids know everything and teaching the clueless older people. And it's not like the wise elders have all the wisdom that they're passing down. Age, ageism, age segregation has subverted what is obviously the natural order of things. We should have those exchanges all day long, which is why it's so important to make and hold on to friends of all ages. And mm-hmm. if you don't know many people, older or younger than you, seek them out. If you don't know how, think about something you like to do, whether it's knitting or going to the theater or, uh, you know, nature walks, whatever it happens to be, reading, you know. It doesn't have to be something to do with physical function. You can find other people who are, share the same interest. And then you Absolutely. build a friendship on something authentic. And that's really, really, really important. And I think when you look close at people, the person who is offering, you know, crocheting to um, high school students may have the same pain in her knee or back as someone else, but that is not her focus. Or the the per, the 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 older man who's a fabulous businessman still, they do great when they mentor younger businessmen. So that sense of purpose, etch in in psych. You know, in psychological work and intervention, you always think of a sense of purpose as the antidote to anxiety, to depression, Uh to despair. So it fits so well. There was one study that I wanted to share because we people watch so much media and part of the uh, subliminal message that we absorb. I believe, and you correct me with the details, there was a study where you have a group of people, I forget, maybe they're in their 70s, and as they are seeing a story or information, they're subliminally getting messages, just wor- the words old, oh, right. in pain, etc. And then they rate how quickly they had walked from the elevator and now back to the elevator. And the group that was getting those subliminal messages that have to the do with certainly, messages. yep, the negative stereotypes may actually were slower going back to those elevators. And I thought, oh, my God, this really bears on 
the media, the message, and we, and you know, your your mission is to really involve everyone in taking a close look at addressing, you know, the tragedy of this kind of perpetuated yeah, stereotype. Yeah, those were college kids, and they oh, walked okay. out of an okay. elevator more slowly than uh, than people who had not been primed. And there, and and so think think how those messages become more relevant when we're in our fifties and sixties, and we think, oh my God without even being aware of it, that's what's going to happen to me. Some of that stuff is going to happen to you. I am not a Pollyanna about aspects of aging, right? We are all worried about some aspect, whether it's running out of money or getting sick, ending up alone. Those fears are legitimate and real. But, but what never dawns on most of us is that the culture in which we grow older, even just age past youth can make that easier or harder. And a, and a culture that tells us relentlessly that, that young is good and that aging is bad and that you're, you know, all these awful things lie ahead makes it much harder than it ought to be. But the, the, but the hurdle here is, is, is discrimination, is ageism, is our attitudes, right? Imagine if we lived in a society that didn't have those messages everywhere, that called them out for what they are, which is bigotry. You don't see ads that say, look less Asian. Right, right. But you see, asset, or, or you know, look look less black, look, you know, look look less whatever. But you see ads everywhere that say look less old. That is bigotry. You another example. You see, you hear all the time about resources, but we don't have enough for you know senior programs and kids programs around healthcare. Why should we pay for knee replacements for those old people who are going to die soon when we could spend it on kids? They don't say they're going to die soon part out loud, but it's hanging in the air. We would never, never accept a similar conversation about allocating resources according to race or according to sex. You would never say, gee, we have enough for women but not men, right? White people but not black people. It is no more acceptable ethically to accept the idea that resources should be allocated by age. The next time someone says something like that, you say, whoa, 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 whoa. What makes that whole line of thought okay? Nothing about it is okay. It's bigotry. It's illegal. Let's stop doing it. So what what you're really doing is legitimizing people giving voice to the fact that they're not going to just... One of the problems when you said before is we have um, abuse with older people, and we also have shame about asking for help. So if we don't buy the stereotype, we won't quietly just accept the way we're treated in a certain place, the way we are expected, or people will think it's okay for old people to sit for two hours in a waiting room. Not really. Why, why, right? why on earth? Aging is an accomplishment. Why on earth should we feel shame instead of pride? Right? The first part of any movement is, is what they call naming, claiming, and de-shaming. And a good right. example from those of us who are around in the 60s is with the black power movement. Remember, black is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Black people had, had had two centuries of being told that they were ugly, right? That nappy hair and, and dark skin and flatter noses were ugly because they didn't conform to a European standard of beauty. And they came together and said, whoa, 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 we reject the terms of the debate. We are claiming our beauty. We, we older people need to do the same thing around age. Say, I reject the idea 
that, that the, you know, the lines on my face, they are the story of my history and they are beautiful. Because, you know, and if you see that, other people will see that. I mean, I, I often say to women, you know, we're so brainwashed from, from frankly, girlhood on. It's shameful that, you know, there's only one way that's attractive, one way to look. And if you deviate from that, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're ugly and you're never going to be lucky, you know, in love, uh, which is so wrong in so many ways. But, uh, you know, I say, look, look at the friends of yours who, who are dating, who are sexually active. They're not the thinnest. They're not the prettiest. They're not the most conventionally attractive. They are the women who believe that they're worth being with. And we know that comes from within. So let's put age out there along with body image, along with everything else, and say, you know, we know, we know that our present-day selves are not lesser versions of who we are when we were younger. So let's stop reinforcing that idea with our with age denial and, um, you know, hiding behind it and feeling ashamed instead of proud. And, and I think uh, I want our listeners to know one of the things that Ashton does in this book is really give you data that's going to fuel you actually reconsidering that if I'm not going to attempt to look like a 20-year-old, that doesn't mean I have to give up and look like the old woman in the um, fairy tale. That that Make embracing your yourself. Whatever works for right. you. Right. And one thing that you did say that, I, that we're almost going to have to stop, but that I want people to think about is, so if you find out you can't swim 100 laps anymore, so figure out a way to swim 10. And if exactly. for some reason you know that, no, I will speak about myself, I've been getting lost since I got my license. There's nothing new to me in this. But if you find all of a sudden right. you're getting lost more, so put a stick and use the GPS. The more that we think, oh, really, that's a little rougher for me? Okay, I'll go around this way. The more you right. can... Use whatever tools. Yes. I mean, I think yes. we, we live in fear that we're going to fall off some cliff and everything's, you know, of, of bad oldness because we're like, we're, no one wants to admit they're old, right? So we're all clawing fiercely to stay on the, the right side of some imaginary line in the sand that does not exist. And I like pointing out to people, you know, you're, you're terrified of this thing happening after which it's all going to suck. Well, guess what? You know, you already can't run as fast as you used to do if you, if you ran at all. Or maybe you are, your vision is already not as good as it was. We're already, we're all embarked on this path. Everyone. It's a spectrum. It's not a divide. And most of us find ways to do, that keep doing the things we really love to do, or, as you say, versions of them that continue to give us enormous pleasure. And maybe okay. you can't take the black diamond slope anymore, and you have to take a gentler one, but guess what? You know, you're going to have a little more time to enjoy the ride down. You know, there's always two sides to it. Okay, um, I, I'm, I'm going to stop us for a minute because we're running out of this segment, but Stay with us. We're here with Ashton Applewhite. You're listening to Psych Up Live. And when you come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about Occupy Age. That's Ashton's term. Stay with us. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you finding your frequency? 
It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts, we'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What makes a great leader? Most have a vision, one that starts beyond the resources available and continues from that point into developing a solid plan, organization, and company. Leadership issues are discussed each week on VoltCast, illuminating leadership with host Jeff Smith. Jeff has years of experience as a leader and executive coach, and his guests will bring you information that can help a team of any size. Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We've been speaking and really raising consciousness with Ashton Applewhite. She's the recognized expert and activist on ageism, which is discrimination because of age. She's the author of This Chair Rocks. Uh, it's been really terrific. Let me ask you this, Ashton. We have more, many more things to speak about, but how would our listeners get to this book, get to your blog sites? Maybe you could share that information. Sure. Um, I made it really easy by giving the same name to my blog and the book, which is thischairrocks.com. Uh, there's a, a button there where you can order the book through my website. You can also get it on Amazon where it's almost up to 100 five-star reviews. Um, there's one three-star review. I have to tell you the truth, but all the rest are four and mostly five stars. Um, and you can get it there in any electronic format. And there's also an audible version read by me if you're one of those people that likes to listen to your books. Great. And back to this chairrocks.com. There's a blog, link to blog, and that's where I've been really thinking out loud in the form of blog posts 
for, gosh, since 2007. So all the research, it's searchable by topic. So all the research that I drew on when I wrote the book is on there. You can look through it and see, you know, see where I got the information or email me. It's easy to contact me. That also links to my other blog, which is called Yo, Is This Aegis? I love the way you said it, which is a question and answer blog. It's modeled on a wonderful site called Yo, Is This Racist? by a guy who really takes no prisoners because he realized, of course, that we are uncomfortable talking about race and sometimes people don't know whether something, something is racist or not. We often don't know whether something is ageist or not because it's a new idea to us. So the mm-hmm. idea there is you can send me in a picture or a clip or a question and I'll answer it in a way that's hopefully entertaining but also makes sense. And uh, lastly, there is a resource page which has books and stuff and uh, websites. And another thing on there is a PDF that you can download called Who Me? Ageist a guide to starting a consciousness-raising group around age bias. Consciousness-raising was the tool that women used to start the women's movement. And just in case you're daunted by the prospect of really changing the culture, because that is what we're talking about, think about the role of women in American society only 50 years ago, right? We have a long way to go, but we've come a long way. And what happened was that women got together and they started comparing notes, and they realized that the feelings they were having of being thwarted, of being belittled, of being, um, you know, kept away from opportunity were not personal problems. They were widely shared problems that required a collective political solution, that required a social movement, and that's just what we need to do around age stuff. If you feel ashamed of how you look, if you feel afraid of the future, Get together, use the booklet if you want to. It's free to start talking about it and to see what issues you are facing together because those are political problems, not personal problems, and we need to join forces to combat them, to change the way society views aging, and to take pride in it instead of being ashamed of it. I'll tell you that this is the type of book that would be fabulous with a book club because it just prompts and engenders so many issues, and the PDF on the consciousness raising group is is terrific. You literally you can gather a group of people, open that up, and really really have some great discussions that really can only serve everybody really very well. One question I had forgotten to ask Ashton that I that that I thought of at our break was, Ashton, is there a difference in gender, in terms of men or women being more likely to have internalized this stereotype on aging? Do you, have you observed that? Have you seen that in the research at all? Well, aging is, I mean, ageism is often the first form of discrimination that white men encounter. And, of course, it makes you want to say, well, welcome, welcome to our world. And it makes people of color want to say that, you know, twice as strongly because all forms of discrimination reinforce each other. They all operate to pit us against each other, right? They're not about how we look. They're about how people in power assign meaning to how we look. Aging is different for women in the sense, not not physically, I mean, obviously the sexes are different, but, but mainly because of the way it is reinforced by society because of the way it doubles up with sexism, right? And the whole issue of, of 
forcing women, and, and I have to say, we do it to ourselves, of viewing our value in terms of how we look and how much we conform to what is deemed pleasing and valuable to men in a heterosexual society, in a patriarchal society, in a sexist society. We, young women can maintain power in this society by distancing themselves from older women, right? Yeah, I have mm-hmm. more power over you. I have more power in the room, in the culture, if I look younger than you. But stop and think for a minute. When we do that, we reinforce looksism because we're saying the most important thing about me is how I look. We mm-hmm. reinforce sexism because we're saying the most important thing is that I look better than that other women. We reinforce patriarchy. We just dig a hole deeper for ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we need to come together and think about different ways to approach that. I mean, what I want to do, I want to bring younger and and older women together. And if you start a consciousness raising group, whether or not it's all women, try and bring in people of all ages. Because once you have people who are different from you, you see what where where there are real differences, but also what you have in common. It busts up your stereotypes. And I think when older and younger women come together to talk about aging, they're going to see two things. They're going to see this power dynamic for the really destructive thing that it is that just pits us against each other. And also, I think it's going to help old, younger women to see, to learn from us, the really fantastic things about getting older that are real so that the younger women are less fearful, right? And it also becomes clear that, honestly, the worst thing about aging for a woman is being devalued in this way that we can change. It's not the physical stuff that we can't change. It's the social stuff that is in our power to change, and we need to raise awareness and stop doing this and act in healthier, more positive ways. You know, a, probably a similar thread, it's less obvious, is that the men who do feel marginalized and whose careers are often just stopped because of a certain age, rather than seeing themselves as dinosaurs, or where do I go from here, or the only thing left is to golf, with those men pair up with the younger men, um, looking at some of these same issues, or even around a purpose, I think we have really then dispel the idea that people have to separate out and be in these homogenous groups and really don't have a lot to offer each other no matter what age. So, you know, I love this multi-generational idea of taking on ageism because I think that's really a powerful, really a powerful tool. And, now, it's, it's, and it's important to remember that ageism, and ageism is making any kind of judgment about a person, what they're capable of or interested in, whether they're too old, in quotes, or too young. Because, again, there's no such thing, right, in, in, except in terms of physical abilities, right? So, and it affects younger people as, much, as well as older people. It affects older people more because we live in a youth-obsessed society but anytime people say, you know, a kid too, is too, too young to take on that responsibility, maybe, maybe they are, but talk to them and find out, right? And the odds are it's, it's, not, it's not because of their age, it's because they haven't learned to do that thing yet. Or because Absolutely. perhaps with an older person, you know, they don't feel like it. They don't want to do that anymore. But don't blame it on age. And ageism does affect all ages. It's ageism when a 20-year, you know, someone in their 20s is depressed because, they're not having, you know, peak life experiences every damn day. When if we all, <laughs> all look right. back, your 20s are a lot harder. 
You know, then then your 30s for most people, it is not an easy time. And so these ageist messages that that try and group us into, you know, say that at a certain age you should look or behave a certain way, oppress people of all ages our whole life long and especially fill us with dread that is based on misinformation and that is a needless burden that segregates us and pits us against each other that we need to throw off. Absolutely. Um, you know, we're just about out of time. If you if you left us with a quote or a comment, what would it be, Ashton? Uh, well, I, I you mentioned that you like the title of the last chapter, which is Occupy Age. Um, and that's sort of a, it's a, I like to think of it as a bit of a, a play on words because in a literal sense, I mean to occupy the space, to not stay home just because you'll stick out. It doesn't make any more sense to do something that will make you look young. Again, that's in quotes, because how can you look anything other than your age? You look the age you are. That's what your age looks like. But not to stay home just because we'll stick out. It's really important to, if you want to do something that you, you know, feel like doing and you're worried you'll be the oldest person there, I urge you to go do it anyway. You'll be welcome. Yes. And you will change, so. you know, that's integration. And occupy age also internally in the sense that you should claim your age. Say how old you are. If someone, you know, and, if, and then add, add, tell the truth and then ask the person what changed in their mind once they had the number. What did that so number mean to them and why? Because it's important to challenge that as well. Okay. Uh, Ashton, I can't thank you enough. Uh, I think what you shared today is a gift to our listeners. Your book, The Chair Rocks, A Manifesto Against Ageism, is also a gift. I urge our listeners to get it. Thanks again for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks very much. Okay, I want to thank my listeners. Remember, you can hear this in any prior show as a podcast. Mm -hmm. Tonight by around 6, this will be a podcast on my website, on the podcast app of your iPhone, on iTunes, on Sketcher. Remember, drop me a comment or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Next week, we'll be speaking to Dr. Andrew Irwin Smiler. His book, Dating in Sex, a guide for the 21st century teen boy. We're going to look at the other side of the spectrum next week. Until then, please take care. Thanks and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk more next week. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america variety channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericavariety.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network it's staff and management.